The church at Ross Bridge is a bridge to belonging, believing, and becoming in Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed this message and visit our website at rossbridge.church. Well, Merry Christmas, family. I pray that your welcoming of the Christ child with, your, with what family you could celebrate that with was inspiring and thought-provoking and meaningful to you. Thank you for all of you who just said, take your mask off. And I hope that whatever new traditions were born in your households as a result of this pandemic have left room in your heart for the light and the hope that comes with Emmanuel, God with us. We, as Miss Julie shared with us before the video, the story is not over. You notice we've left the Advent candles here, and this morning the Christ light is represented with, the light of Christ is represented with the Christ candle. So we've lit that to remind us that the story is not over. Don't you just sometimes wish that God would just give us a big old sign in the sky? I mean, is that too much to ask? Just a neon flashing, I want you to do this, specifically. Well, these very first Gentiles to whom God revealed his Messiah in person, they got such a sign, why don't we get one? History tells us that these magi, these wise men, were Zoroastrian priests. Say it with me, Zoroastrian. It's hard, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, there'll be a test on that. They were Zoroastrian priests and astronomers from Persia who were renowned for their vast knowledge of the movement of the constellations and the stars and the planets and how they aligned. You see, the ancients had a deep belief that Significant events among the stars and planets marked the birth or the rise to power of great historical figures. And modern computer models actually tracing the patterns of the movement among the constellations all the way back to the time of Jesus' birth proved out that there was indeed such a celestial event that took place right about this time. The Magi read these events as their big old sign in the sky from God. They were valued as well for their collective wisdom. You see, they were highly educated, and they actually had access to ancient, sacred texts from all over the known world, and they studied these nonstop. But why would these Zoroastrian priests, these gurus from another far-off eastern mysterious land, why would they risk all of the dangers associated with ancient travel in those days and travel from Persia to Israel in search of a Jewish Messiah? It's a big question mark there. Raise your hand if occasionally I'm looking at my family. You just like to be right. Yeah, I know, it's just, 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 just every once in a while you want to be right. These guys spent their lives looking at, through telescopes and reading through ancient sacred texts from all over the known world, looking for prophetic alignments. They were bound to be a tad bit on the nerdy side, right? And have singularly focused minds. You ever known anyone like this? Someone that's so focused on what they want to say and what they're thinking about that they miss something really obvious right in front of them? Our scripture account from Matthew tells us that the wise men stood before Herod. Herod, literally the king of the Jews at that moment. And they went on to say in verse 2, they asked, where is the newborn king of the Jews? Again, addressing the king of the Jews. 
We've seen his star in the east and we've come to honor him. Poor Herod. Matthew makes no mention of any honor gifts bestowed upon Herod by the Magi, which would have been the custom, right, when you're, anytime you're received by royalty. But Herod, as it turns out, was really just a puppet king appointed by Rome to keep order among the Jewish population in that area. And history tells us that he was vain, paranoid, and had a wicked temper. So, here are these mysterious men from a far-off place in the east looking for a new king of the Jews, and this one, wait for it, has his own star, and they've come to honor him, not Herod. Not wanting his own delicate position of power to be threatened, Herod calls all the chief priests and the experts in the Mosaic law together to try and discover uh, more about the prophecy of the birthplace of the Messiah. And having learned that it was to be Bethlehem, he sends the Magi on their way under the false pretense of discovering the whereabouts of the Christ child, the Messiah, so that Herod himself can too honor him. Now there's no surviving evidence uh, to suggest that Christians used art to express the central tenets of their faith before about the year 200 in the Common Era. Up to that time, they were fleeing persecution. They were heading for the hills, just so that they could nourish and nurture their young faith as much under the Roman radar as possible. During the third century, however, they did begin to experiment with visual images. And it may be surprising to us that they weren't initially very interested in the manger scene depicted in the Gospel of Luke. They were more inclined to Matthew's account of the visit of the Magi. These mysterious Gentiles to whom Christ was revealed were frequently portrayed in the art, in art by the middle of the third century and according to a standard, standard iconographic pattern, right? The unusual star, they were shown bearing gifts and moving in rhythmic procession in all of these depictions toward Mary. And she's shown seated, ready to receive these exotic visitors with the baby on her lap, halos glowing. In one of the oldest Christian cemeteries, Capella Gracia, in the catacomb of Priscilla in Rome, this very early depiction is found prominently displayed above an arch, with the procession cleverly following the curve of the architectural feature. Dating from the late 3rd century or early 4th century, the Magi dominate this scene. Their importance stressed not only by the fact that they occupy the larger portion, but they also are at its central apex. The viewer's eyes are drawn to the top of the picture. If we could go back to that slide. The viewer's eyes are drawn to the top of the arch, and that's where the central axis is. And those are the two leading figures of the wise men. The emphasis is on their movement, the active seeking. You can see them leaning in, the active seeking of God in his son incarnate. Verse 11 of our text says, they entered the house and saw the child with Mary his mother. Falling to their knees, they honored him. Again, this is not the Messiah that their religious tradition follows. They drew upon the fragments of prophecy and the truth that they discovered in whatever sacred Hebrew biblical text that they'd studied. They added to that the signs and wonders that they saw in the skies and just the right amount of mystery and curiosity. And all of this propels them forward. 
through Herod's foyer and right into Mary's nursery. The scripture says it is on their knees that they truly encountered the Christ child and honored him. When the Magi returned to their own country, they didn't have monogrammed party favors from this impromptu baby shower. They didn't post selfies with the Christ child, right? Hashtag Bethlehem. At Messiah, wish you were here. They didn't have anything. As far as we know, Mary had nothing to give them as a token of their devotion. And so they returned to their country empty-handed. Did you notice in the children's video that when each wise man came into close contact with the holy honk of the nose, I think maybe the holy kiss that the early Christians greeted one another with was actually a holy honk. It could be a misrepresentation. I'm going to have to dig into that further. I'll get back to you on that. But when each of the Magi came into close contact with baby Jesus, their faces and their clothes came alive with color. Perhaps encounters with Christ feel more than our hands. But yet we find ourselves immersed in a culture that values the tangible and the material, that which you can hold. The Gospel of Luke tells an early, perhaps even the first time, that Jesus and his disciples came to stay with Lazarus in Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem. You might remember Lazarus has two sisters, Martha, who was busy running from the kitchen to the main room, fussing over preparations, and Mary, who's seated at the feet of Jesus, just soaking up all of his wonderful stories and his wisdom. Now Martha complained to Jesus that he should make Mary help her in the kitchen because there was much to do in order to make a great show of hospitality. In verse 41 of Luke 10, the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part, and it won't be taken from her. The Magi took what they knew about the prophecy of God's Messiah, embraced the mystery of what they did not know, and leaned into the journey toward Christ. However their encounter with God's Son colored their lives from that moment on, it could not, it would not be taken from them. When you and I ponder the truth of what we know about God and actively seek an encounter with Christ, even amidst the mystery, what we find in that space will never, could never be taken from us. We love animals in our family. Here's our daughter, Scotty. Years ago, shortly after we adopted Sweet Bono Dog, he's my hiking trail buddy. Love that dog. And here's Scotty recovering from her ankle surgery. Note, right in the center, uh, is that sugar or ginger? Sugar, sugar the guinea pig is, sta is standing watch over her. And this is my father, the acolyte. Moments before Grandma Rose drove him to Cathedral Mass in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I don't know if you can see in the picture, but he's holding one of his many, many, many kittens. Now, Grandma Rose had a very strict policy of no animals in the house whatsoever. She absolutely forbade it. She would even say to my dad as he's raising all these kittens in the backyard, ooh, 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 don't you let that cat in this kitchen door and don't let him dirty your dungarees. Dungarees were to be kept clean. Are we clear on that? But apparently Mary, the mother of Jesus, had a very open door policy when it came to animals in her house and near her firstborn child. As pictured here in this fourth century fragment from a Roman sarcophagus in the cemetery of St. Agnes, here we see the same sense of progression of the Magi. 
and all presenting their, their honor gifts. Now, the, this artist just gets it. Mary, if you'll notice, is just sort of staring off into space as any sleep-deprived first-time mom would be. And the looks like toddler Jesus is all about the gifts. Gimme, gimme, gimme. This is pretty accurate. We're getting better as time goes on. You'll notice the lead magus pointing to the mysterious star, indicating that in the fourth century, the church was beginning to understand their own faith heritage as universal and open to all people, no matter where they came from. Now, whether you read this visit of the Magi as a baby shower or a birthday party or somewhere in between, remember the Magi had fallen on their knees to honor the Christ child. The scripture is perhaps better understood as very learned outsiders presenting offerings of praise and worship rather than just, than just giving gifts. The Magi present what they have as a testament to Christ's glory and worth as the ultimate prophet, priest, and king. The gifts were gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We all know that pretty well by now. Every king needs resources, and gold was the most precious metal in the ancient world. Perhaps the Magi were familiar with the passage from Exodus 30, where God gives Moses, the first archetype prophet, the precise formulary for a holy incense to be burned in tabernacle worship of the one true God. This formulary was composed heavily of pure frankincense. That might have been what the baby in the cartoon was choking on <laughs> when he smelled it. And it represented, when it was burned, it represented the prayers of the people rising up to God as the smoke uh, came up before the veil in the tabernacle or the temple. Prophets proclaim the word of God as the mouthpiece of God. But Christ, later in his ministry, was known as the word of God. And he proclaimed the end of the punishment for our sins. Maybe the Magi had studied the other formulary given to Moses in Exodus 30, a holy anointing oil containing pure myrrh used on and by the priests in the temple, setting the temple and the sacrificial pyramids aside as holy and consecrated unto God. Christ is our high priest and the perfect sacrifice for the remission of our sins. Now the Magi could not have fully comprehended the magnitude of Christ's glory at this particular time. As far as we know, they returned to Persia, continued to be Zoroastrian priests, but what they knew of this child they were drawn to, and they were motivated and moved to honor him with precious gifts. Later, when Jesus comes of age and begins his ministry, the Gospel of John recounts another time when something precious and costly was offered, some might say wasted, on him. In the 12th chapter, Jesus has raised Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus is being honored with a great feast in the house of Lazarus at this time. Once again, Mary, the sister of Lazarus, is, is at the feet of Jesus, and this time she's broken an alabaster jar that contained pure nard, which was an extremely rare and valuable perfumed ointment. Some say the cost would be an entire year's wages, if not more, for that one jar. She's conceivably overcome with gratitude to have her brother alive from the dead and healthy. And she does more than just give Jesus a gift as a thank you. She makes an extravagant gesture that points to his glory and his worth. Judas, who kept the books for the apostles, um, begins to reprimand Mary for this apparent waste of resources that could have been put to better use 
with the disadvantaged. And Jesus uh, says, Jesus tells Judas to leave her alone. In verse 8, he says, you will always have the poor among you, but you don't always have me. I wonder, did Mary fully comprehend the glory of Jesus at this particular time? Or was she perhaps, like the Magi, drawn to what she did know of Jesus, however small that was, and motivated and moved to honor just that peace? Many of us grew up in church, and we could quote scripture and tell Bible stories really well, even as children. There's knowing about God, and there's knowing God. I wonder how many of us can embrace the mystery surrounding what we may never in this life fully comprehend about God, and just give honor to the pieces of himself that he has revealed to us. What gifts or talents or opportunities are present in your life, are precious to you, that could be used to honor God, even if the world might see that as waste. Raise your hand if you have spent considerable time in prayer before making a large decision in your life. I hope you have, and I hope you know the benefit of that, the joy of it. You know, early in Jesus' ministry, he'd already garnered quite a following. Many disciples, many people were drawn to him for his command of the Hebrew scriptures, the wisdom that flowed from his storytelling form of teaching, and his countercultural lifestyle, he and John the Baptist. When the time came for Jesus to select his inner circle of followers who would be his closest companions, his trusted ministry partners, he first committed to prayer. Verse 12 says, During that time, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night long. At daybreak, he called together his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he called apostles. That decision changed all of our lives in this room. And it took an all night of prayer for him to come to feeling like he was making the right decision. Even Jesus, the Son of God incarnate, knew that nourishing a deep prayer life with his Father kept him in sync with God's will for his life. Prayer can be an extremely powerful and intimate encounter with God, one that can transform us if we let it. When we spend time with God in prayer, our worldview changes, our hearts are softened, and we're able to receive more of God as he reveals himself to us. Someone who engages in a deep and consistent prayer life uh, often experiences a harmony in their walk with God that's really difficult to put into words, but the result is that their encounters with God seem more tangible. His guidance seems more clear to them. God was able to use the pliable, worshipful hearts of the Magi to guide them out of harm's way. Verse 12 says, because they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they went back to their own country by a different route. Again, the one true God, this is Yahweh, this is Jehovah, the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is not the God that these magi worship. And yet they were drawn to his Messiah and honored him with what they had. God was then able to speak to their open hearts in a dream, knowing that they would return to their normal lives. They would go back to Persia. They would go back to their Zoroastrian religion. But he gave them safe passage anyway. You know, so many of us have mourned the loss of normalcy in 2020 with the pandemic. We ache, we long to get back to what's familiar, 
to get back to what we know, the comfort zone of our lives. And while COVID-19 may forever alter the way we do life in terms of public health considerations, I do have faith that sometime soon we're going to settle into a normal, albeit a new normal, but we're going to get back to feeling like we're moving forward, like we're progressing in life and not waiting all the time. Until then, I wonder, could we be open to a sense of home being crafted from our encounters with Christ? A sense of home that could never be taken from us, no matter what alternate route life throws at us. A sense of home that seems more in step with God's dreams for us due to the depth and consistency of our encounters with him. By the 6th century, church tradition had given the Magi names. They were, and these are great, Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar. I won't ask you to say those with me. Church tradition had also, by the 6th century, reinforced the mysterious Easterners as definitely being from Persia. I had always thought that stirrup pants were just an unfortunate blip on the fashion radar in the mid to late 80s. Uh, but depicted here in the 6th century mosaic, <laughs> this is at San Apollinaire Nuevo in uh, Ravenna, Italy. You'll notice they, stirrup pants, seem to be legit. If you trace the garments of the known world uh, in the 1st century, you'll find that only the men of Persia were wearing trousers at that time. And these babies were leather. Woo! <laughs> That's a lot of stirrup pants. But this artist is pointing with what he has the wise men dressed in. He's pointing once again to that mysterious eastern land of Persia, which reinforces even more that God's Messiah is for everyone. And that this faith that's now been cultivated for 500 to 600 years is universal. As we prepare to let this strange year get smaller and smaller in the rearview mirror, Let's take a five-day challenge together, can we? Later today, not now, don't do it. I want you to whip out your cell phone, and I want you to download the Uversion app. This is what it looks like. And then I want you to search within the plans and put in the search, presence-filled prayer. We're going to do this together. And uh, you want to click on Start, that devotional plan. Beginning tomorrow morning, let's devote the first 15 minutes of our day to reading through and reflecting upon this material. If you choose to do this, you'll actually, we will actually complete this five-day plan on New Year's Day. And what a, what a great way to start off 2021. Let's build on what we already know. And if that's not much, then we'll let curiosity be our guide and lean into the mystery. Let's discover what talents, what resources we've been given, and spend time imagining the why behind such giftedness. Perhaps the things that set you apart were meant to glorify and honor God, leading you to like-minded community. How might your sense of purpose be clarified should you come to understand why you were fashioned the way you are? That's a big one for a lot of people. How could the very real, palpable, guiding, loving presence of God in your life transform both the great and the small 
decisions that are waiting to be made by you. What do we have to learn from these strange Easterners? Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for revealing the pieces of yourself that you have to us. We have human minds which are limited, but Lord, you have given us a thirst, an ache to know more. Father, I pray you'll never take that thirst away from us. Help us, Lord, to build momentum and to lean into the mystery, to lean into the journey toward Christ and toward your dreams for our lives. We place our lives in your hands, Father, and, we, and I pray, Father, that you will help all of us get through this five-day challenge and that together on New Year's Day, we will begin new traditions and we will have a greater understanding and even a greater ache and thirst to know you more intimately because that's where we're safe and that's where our lives have purpose and meaning. It's in Christ's holy and precious name we pray all of these things. Amen. The Church at Ross Bridge is located in Birmingham, Alabama and helps people find abundant life in Jesus Christ. 